Hello fellow Blue Earther, welcome to another podcast. I'm Laura Nesbitt and today on the pod I'm chatting to Poppy Stout, an exceptional proactive youth activist from Newport studying her A-levels. Poppy is an ardent feminist but prefers to be recognised as an internationalist. She's a strong advocate for equality and social justice. And on this pod, we talk all things activism, education, and what sustainability means to the next generation. I can see that you are the Youth Climate Ambassador for Wales and Newport. What does that actually mean and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm chair of a group called the Youth Climate Ambassadors for Wales. Um, and we do quite a lot of things. We're a group of 15, 13 to 25 year olds. Um, and kind of our fundamental core aim is to amplify the youth voice and empower accessible and importantly unified climate action at all levels. And so because of that, as a group, we aim for our reach to be as far out as possible. And so we've worked with schools, giving one on one support, kind of helping them along their climate journey. We've worked with businesses advocating for why climate action and sustainable methods of production actually will be more economically valuable to them and then on the flip side of that we've worked with governments so we've done quite a bit of work with the US embassy and the Welsh government and we're starting to work now hopefully with the UK government in the upcoming kind of few months but we've done work with the UN at like COP26 but particularly our aim is to kind of build the table that isn't there for young people instead of squeezing a seat on this table that isn't designed to amplify our voice we want to make sure that young people have their own movement and have the opportunities to influence things right where it's happening in a legislative sense and in a community grassroots sense and breathe (laughs) i told you we're busy bees (laughs) (laughs) yeah honestly i'm not sure how you're managing a levels doing everything that you just said and you just got an offer from oxbridge that's absolutely amazing (laughs) um so what's been your favorite like business to work for or school program to educate at yeah, so I think a highlight for me was definitely when we went to COP. We were lucky enough to have a group of three of us have we access for the full two weeks in the blue zone, so where the official negotiations were happening, which was insane because that definitely isn't a place where free working class Welsh girls should have been. Um, but we were in there kind of advocating for the youth voice. And I think for me, that experience was particularly profound because we went to COP with some Indigenous people and it gave me the opportunity to really listen and to learn about the plight of Indigenous rights and how our actions in the West and in Wales and in the UK really do impact their everyday lives Um, and I think for me that kind of really reinforced why I'm a climate activist and how lucky I am to be an activist but it also showed that our work isn't just helping people in 50 years time when you take climate activism you're helping people today and right now and I think that was really kind of moving for me especially to experience at such a young age. I agree I think focusing on now but also having a plan for the future is essential I think sometimes you can kind of get lost in what's going what's happening going to happen in the future fear-mongering without actually focusing on what action or what steps you can do now to make the world a better place um so you've grown up in Wales could you tell us a little bit about what that was like you know what your hobbies have been what kind of education you got at school was sustainability politics climate change when did they kind of come into your education yeah absolutely so I think I've grown up with a very kind of 
traditional Welsh upbringing. I'm from a really working class family in South Wales. Um, a lot of my family are based in the South Wales Valleys, which is really lovely because I think when you grow up with that, you grow up understanding the importance of community and understanding the importance of sticking by what you love and what you know. And for me, what I loved and what I knew was, you know, the people around me, but also the landscape and protecting this earth that I know just so much for us. Um, so I think that was quite a lovely little wholesome upbringing, um, especially because Wales in itself, whilst it's built in the foundations of community, often being Welsh, you have no choice but to be political because you are kind of surrounded by working class people. You're surrounded by the fight for equal rights, the fight for kind of gender equality every day in these discussions. Um, and I've been very, very lucky that I've grown up in a household where my mum, my dad, my stepdad haven't been afraid to say, right, Poppy, this is happening in the world. What do you think about that? And so that meant from a young age, I was passionate about things and I knew that the world was in a perfect place. And I knew that I wanted to do what I can to change that. And I think I was really lucky to be introduced to that idea at such a young age. Um, well, you know, it wasn't the best. We'd love to kind of live in sweet naivety. I think that made me passionate about wanting to use the platform of skills that I have to do things. Um, in terms of education, I go to an amazing school in Newport, which doesn't get the hype it deserves um, because it's based in quite a um, disadvantaged area. I think we're um, placed in one of the most disadvantaged areas in Europe. And so because of that, the school is kind of considered not to be the best place, but actually kind of growing up in this school has given me such insight into diversity, into experiences that I, as a white woman from Wales, wouldn't have necessarily known about. And I think that's been really important in shaping my understanding and knowing that, you know, no one has the same experience of this earth, but we can do what we can to make it as fair as possible. It sounds really wholesome. It sounds very 360 degrees, like you've had a full spectrum, which is really wonderful to hear. Yeah, definitely. And I know that's something that a lot of people don't get to kind of experience until later on in their life. So I think it's really important that I've had that as like a fundamental. What kind of conversations do you have with your friends about sustainability and climate change? Yeah, so I think within kind of the climate movement, particularly amongst young people, there's often two extremes. Um, I think that there's a group of young people who all they want to do is climate activism. That's all they want to talk about. That's kind of their reason for waking up every day. And then I think on the other extreme, there are young people that aren't as engaged in it. Um, but I think I'm really lucky that my friendship group while they're not necessarily as activisty as I am, they are open to having conversations with me about it and they're always open to kind of supporting me on this journey. Um, but I think that's something else I've learned kind of through my school is that sometimes climate activism should be accessible to everyone and these conversations should be. But when you're already kind of dealing with, you know, going to school, helping to provide an income for your family, you might not necessarily think, right, I'm going to Google the new IPCC report today because there's already so much going on. But my friendship group has always been amazing at facilitating kind of my passion and letting me rant at them and kind of learning from each other. That sounds great. <laughs> Um, so Poppy, after the uh, historic Welsh vote of 16 to 17 year olds for the first time, how do you feel about it now? I was really excited about Votes at 16. One of my best friends actually worked really closely on bringing that into reality. Like she campaigned on it for years, which I think is so cool. Um, and so I really loved it. I woke up so early on election morning to vote. It was really sad, actually. Me and my mum went down together and like took selfies. And it was like a really exciting day. Um, and now I think that it's really important that 16-year-olds had that 
vote because I think for the first time, you know, we can say that the youth voice is important and matters as much as we want. It is saying, yeah, your voice is important and we're going to listen to it and you can act on it rather than the youth voice just being used as a voice. It can continue to be used as a force for change within democracy as well as outside of that. I think the votes at 16 as well kind of forced schools into providing political education for one of the first times in it kind of provided the opportunity to show young people that their voice mattered in politics and that politics is relevant directly to them um, because they could have a say in it for real when they cast their ballot. So I think that was really exciting. But reflecting, I do think that a lot more should have been done to engage with young people and to empower young people to use their vote. Okay, so just run me through that. What do you think like should have happened then to engage more people? I think political education is something that needs to be improved significantly in schools. I think schools are giving it a go um, in most cases, but I think sometimes there's such a fear about crossing the boundary of apolitical that often important conversations don't happen. Um, And so sometimes young people don't even know that there's an election. Or I found even with myself, it was the basic things. Like I knew what I stood for and I knew who I wanted to vote for. But going into kind of cast my ballot I wasn't sure if I put a tick in the box if I put an x in the box and I would consider myself to be quite politically active so I think kind of the basics aren't necessarily covered and in terms of political education as well I think while we have social media which is really important in kind of discussing these topics and really kind of amplifying politics I think sometimes you can get trapped in a social media bubble so you only see opinions that you subscribe to and so because of that you never get to venture outside of that and perhaps learn and learn about what other people think and other ways of life in a constructive way um so I think kind of raising awareness of the multitude of political avenues is important but I think votes at 16 really provided the platform for those conversations to start happening on a bigger scale I think you're right just backtracking to what you said about um like not knowing what to do sometimes I think education almost misses out the most common sense or the most basic things that you know, unless you grow up in a household that teach you how to do that or have a friendship group that does that, how would you know how to do that? You know, it's a little bit like tax returns or something like that. (laughs) Unless you know how to do a tax return if you're self-employed, like how else would you know how to do it? (laughs) Yeah, literally like one of my best friends, he didn't know kind of that you had to go to a certain like polling station. He thought you'd go to whichever one you were at. So then when he got there and queued for an hour and they were like, oh, you've got to go to the one half an hour walk away. He was a bit like, well, no one told me that. Now I've wasted two hours of my day waiting in queues. Um, And it's just the really basic things like that, that I think people, you know, sometimes they want to jump straight into economic policy when they haven't even told us where we're meant to vote. So um, you mentioned that you went to COP. And I only watched COP or parts of it through the news, through as an activist. So what was that like? Yeah, I think COP for me, I'm still processing it. It's been quite a while since I went now, but I think it was it was almost humbling, but also really kind of, it caught me off guard a little bit. I think I went into COP quite naive as to what it was um, and the influence that it had. And so on one hand, I found being there really quite overwhelming. I find the notion of, I guess, the future of the planet and the state of, I guess, climate justice and social justice being discussed in these kind of boardroom meeting places really bizarre. And it kind of blew my mind that, you know, the future of the planet and how we tackle this is going to be discussed in a room with the door shut with people who probably haven't even met or fully understand the science behind it. And it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around that concept. Um, And then from that, I did, though, find COP really 
empowering and really inspiring. You know, the Blue Zone wasn't necessarily a place where I should have been. Um, and yet I had the opportunity to be there and I had the opportunity to talk about what young people in Wales believe. And I had the opportunity to amplify voices other than my own, which was really amazing to be able to be a part of. And whilst I was there, I found out about so many movements that were actively working to make this world's best place and so many people who had dedicated their time to that and I had never fully understood I guess the community of activism before because everything's been online for so long Um, and that was really important to me I found it really quite moving. So for anybody um, that might not know Poppy could you explain what the blue zone is? Yeah, absolutely. So the Blue Zone is the, you need to get official access from the Blue Zone from the United Nations. And it's um, the section of COP basically where the official negotiations happen. So that's where the delegates will go. Um, And it's kind of the area of COP where they will talk about the policies that they're considering passing and the areas, I guess, where the decisions are made. It's certainly not the most fun place in COP, but I would say it's the most kind of serious. Cool. Um, When you first heard the word sustainability, can you remember that time? And kind of how has your idea or your view of sustainability changed as you've got older? Yeah, so I think the first time I was introduced to sustainability, we had like a one-off lesson in year six, but we were talking about fishing. Um, And I remember my teacher being like, you know, the way these people fish is not sustainable. We need to write an essay about it. And I was like, okay, great. Let's do this. Um, So I don't think that really like stayed with me that much. And then the time that really got me was my mum and my stepdad became vegan when I was about 13. um, And we became, we tried to be a single use plastic free household. And I remember being sat there one morning making a cup of tea and all the tea bags are gone and we had to use leaf tea leaves. And I was like, this is the last straw. I was like, what is going on? Why can't I even make a cup of tea properly? Um, And my mum said to me, she was like, Poppy, give it a Google, Google climate change. We're trying to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And I was like, what on earth? Why is climate change impacting how I make my tea? Um, So I sat down, I gave it a Google, and then I kind of learned about this idea properly of global warming. And I learned about how the actions we take today can impact people in the future. Um, And I think for me, that stayed with me at that age because it was the first time that I realised sustainability was more than turning off the tap when you brush your teeth. And it was more kind of a lifestyle. So do you think that was the moment in which you kind of started on another trajectory of activism? I'm not sure, to be honest. I think I've always inherently like been the girl at the, I guess, front of the class, kind of expressing my opinion. You know, I've always been the one kind of calling things out. But I think for me, like my activism has mainly been rooted in feminism. um, And it's been rooted in kind of from a really young age, I've always been called things like bossy or kind of over opinionated I've even been someone told me once that I'd be more attractive if I was less opinionated um, and as I've grown up I've realized that I'm one of the lucky women and one of the lucky girls growing up you know I've never had to deal with things like period poverty or I've never had to deal with not being able to go to school or not being able to do like things like science or you know not being able to do sport and so while I was getting these snarky comments which always used to wind me up um I knew that I was definitely the lucky one um and then for me when my mum said to me you know sit down google climate change I learned that climate change, I learned that climate justice is social justice. Um, and I kind of saw this avenue where once again, world leaders and the people in charge, who let's be honest, and normally men still, unfortunately, were continuing to neglect 
this plight for social justice and we're continuing to neglect something that would protect people today and future generations. So I think when, you know, the teabag thing definitely was a turning point, but I think it was when I learned that climate change was linked to social justice and gender equality and race equality and class equality. That's where that, I guess, fire was really lit because it was this issue that was impacting so many aspects of our society, but no one was really doing anything within the governments. Um, and I thought that was ridiculous. But I think since then, through my activism especially and people that I've got to work with, I've learned that sustain- sustainability is even more than just about protecting the climate. Um, I think that when we talk about sustainability and climate change, we can kind of fall into this cycle of thinking, OK, I'm doing this to protect the trees. And yes, you are. But I think when we act sustainably, we're actually protecting humanity and we're protecting people who are vulnerable and we're protecting people who often society kind of neglects. So I think for me, sustainability now is more so protecting livelihoods and protecting the futures of people, not just kind of protecting the planet, even though that's definitely a key fundamental. So... Poppy, on your background info that I've got, um, I've it's written that um, you were recognised by the energy company Scottish Power, who compiled the Green Power List ahead of the United Nations COP26 climate change conference. And what is it that they recognised you for? Um, so I can't remember the exact name, but I think they recognised me as like a climate champion thing, um, which is, I guess, an award to recognise people, I think in Wales or across the UK, who were like actively engaging with climate activism and kind of actively working across different sectors to make that change. And how how do you measure the impact that you're having? Um, so there's kind of two answers to that. The answer that I like to say is completely true is whether we've managed to impact the life of one person or we've managed to reach out to one person. Um, but sometimes when you're applying for funding and things, saying we're going to help one person doesn't go down very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I kind of measure the impact by whether we actually kind of get a response. Um, I think, you know, a key example is sometimes social media might be the effective way or sometimes bringing a petition to the government might be the most effective way. But I know we've got a result if we're beginning to see people talk about kind of the seed we planted. And I know we've got a result if we're beginning to actually impact action. And I think a key example of that was um, when we were at COP, the organisation that facilitates us, um, the size of Wales, um, we've kind of worked with them and they've done a lot of work on deforestation. And while we were at COP, we managed to get a meeting with the Welsh government where the Welsh government committed to making Wales deforestation a free nation, um, which is quite a big deal to be kind of involved in those discussions. Um, And I think for me, that was one of the first times where I thought, you know what, this activism is doing things because the governments are listening they're working Um, and then that had a knock-on effect which made businesses and schools kind of listen to us more. How do you cope with situations where you don't feel like you're being listened to or you don't feel like you you're being taken seriously? Yeah I think as young activists we don't get taken seriously quite a lot Um, or sometimes we very much get the oh my gosh you're so inspiring how do we keep people being inspired and I'm like they're already inspired, just act. Um, and I think for me, it kind of stems from three, three things. Um, the first thing for me is kind of realising that sometimes you don't need the validation of others to know that what you're saying is important and to know that what you're saying should be taken seriously. For me, I've managed to kind of deal with that through being surrounded by a community of young people who do listen and who do want to hear your opinion and who 
do encourage that because sometimes women are like programmed to question themselves um but I think knowing that what I'm saying is valid and that my voice is important um I think that's something that has been really influential um and something else has been knowing that you know not everyone has to take me seriously and I also don't need to kind of stand for that or being that environment and when people haven't taken me seriously I can decide that I don't want to be a part of that situation and I can decide that you know potentially if someone's using the youth voice as a token that I don't need to kind of give them that platform or instead we try to continue to spread our message but do it in a different way so for example we've worked with media who often just focus on things like climate anxiety and so when we ask those questions that can sometimes seem patronizing we try to I guess spin it and try to make sure that you know we're getting the message that we want to get across whether the person on the other end of that is encouraging that or not but it can be tricky and sometimes reminding myself that ultimately without the plight of young people and without this movement climate change probably wouldn't be as high on world leaders agendas Um, and I think that's really powerful because it kind of keeps me grounded and it reminds me of the roots of this movement and the things it's accomplished so even if I don't know Barry from down the road thinks that my activism is a waste of time I know that it's contributing to something bigger. Well, I'm sure in 10 years, Barry will be seeing you in newspapers or on the TV and he'll think, huh, I was really wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So Poppy, with all the hours that you commit to activism and with all the doom and gloom that's happening in the world right now, what motivates you to get up in the morning and commit so much time and energy to this? Um, I think two things motivate me. I think one of the things is appreciating the amazing work that other people are doing around me. Um, I'm surrounded by such empowered young people who I know struggle with the same things that I do, but I'm surrounded by especially other women that are doing such amazing things. And I find that so inspiring so I find for me one of the things that kind of keeps me going is also celebrating the accomplishments of others and being like yeah look she is awesome and being like there's no excuse that you can't be like that too um but I also think for me one of the biggest things was at COP um I got to meet the Wampies who are a group of indigenous people um and they were at COP because climate change was ultimately already having a negative impact on their livelihoods um and for me that was the first time that I properly appreciated that I get to wake up and choose to be an activist and for some people they're an activist because they need to be because if they're not an activist then no one else is going to be talking about this issue that directly impacts their life and so for me the idea that I have that choice is really empowering but also makes me think you know what Poppy you've got this choice you need to do what you can to I guess use it Um, And I think that's something that kind of keeps me going. What does mental health mean to you? I think mental health for me is something that for a long time I neglected. I used to think if you weren't burnt out or if you weren't at your ultimate stress level, then you weren't working hard enough. Or if you weren't kind of filled with, especially climate anxiety, then you didn't care enough and then you weren't kind of listening or you weren't being the right sort of activist or student. Are climate anxiety and climate guilt the same thing? Um, so for me, climate anxiety and climate guilt are a bit different. Um, for me, climate guilt is this idea that I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I'm a bad person for accidentally putting that in the wrong recycling bin. Um, whereas for me, climate anxiety is 
I guess the overwhelming feeling that you get when you learn about climate change and I think climate anxiety for me is kind of related to this sense of feeling a bit powerless um, and feeling a bit out of control and then that can often cause especially amongst young people um, deep anxiety. I know personally climate anxiety caused me to have nightmares or I would be sat in maths especially in my GCSEs um, I was sat there kind of learning about 3D trigonometry and I was like why am I doing this like earth is burning what's going on um but I Mm. think then climate guilt kind of stems when you start taking action and you still feel a little bit powerless but it's more about like oh I'm not doing enough if that makes sense and what's the first thing that you tell yourself to do when you feel like you're being overcome by climate guilt or climate anxiety I'm still working that out a little bit but I think when I feel quite overwhelmed I remind myself that ultimately yes every action we take can have a negative impact on the planet but every action we take can also have a positive impact on the planet um and as long as i know that i like in myself as long as i'm sure and affirmed that i'm doing everything i can within my own boundaries to help the planet um then i think that settles me and i also find talking to other people about it i feel like particularly in my organization we never really talked about climate anxiety then one time someone mentioned that they had a nightmare about like climate change and everyone was like oh same and we were like why have we never talked this through with each other before and also i think for a lot of young people it's reminding yourself that you're not to blame for climate change. Um, I once went to this like online lecture about climate change and something that really stuck for me was they were on about burnout and they kind of said that you can't save a burning planet if you're burning internally. Um, and that really kind of resonated with me because I was like, you're right, I won't be able to give it my all if I don't even have enough energy some days to like brush my hair. Um, and I think that was really important for me to learn. So for anybody listening to the Blue Earth podcast or somebody who is interested in learning more about sustainability, what would be your advice on where to start? Because it's such a overwhelming topic to learn about and it changes all the time. Definitely. So I have two pieces of advice. I'm going to go rogue. Um, The first one would be that climate guilt is tempting, but don't yield to it. I think sometimes we feel really guilty if we drive the car on a quick five minute journey. Um, Or sometimes we feel really guilty if we have to buy a bottle of Sprite or something from the shop and we know it's single use plastic. But I think climate guilt doesn't actually help anyone. It just makes you feel really bad about yourself. Um, So I would say that when you're beginning your climate journey, just think about realistically what you can do within your own parameters. We all have a different reality. And if the only thing you can do is talk about climate change with your friends or write an email to your MP, then that's enough. If you can become a vegan and you can only use public transport and you can attend protests and join advocacy groups, then that's awesome as well. But kind of all forms of activism and action are valid. And so don't beat yourself up if you think your next door neighbour is doing more than you. And my second piece of advice would be, you know, like I said, think about your reality, but also remember that within climate change, yes, we all need to act, but a key thing that we need to do is incentivize governments to take action because in this race, they are the people with the most power, unfortunately. And so even by using your voice or even by telling your friend about a climate fact you've read and spreading the message, that puts even more pressure on governments and businesses to change their ways. And would you advise people writing to their MP? Do you find that that has impact? 
I think it depends on who your MP is. I think that it can have impact. Um, I think for me, especially doing things involved with politics, whilst I was taking actions myself, it helped me a little bit with my own climate anxiety because I knew that there were things out of my control, but I knew that I was doing within my parameters what I could to influence that before I got more heavily involved in activism. Um, So I think sometimes it doesn't create direct results, but you know that you're kind of doing the most but I would always advise you know if you want to write to your MP you may want to also use that energy by joining a group or even joining a social media chat talking about it and perhaps fueling that energy into a community if sometimes that kind of section of politics can seem overwhelming. Mm. So who inspires you the most in terms of activism to get up every morning and do what you do? To tell you what, I think obviously people like Greta um, are really inspiring and I particularly find a lot of inspiration from the women that led kind of the 1960s women liberation movement. I, I find that really cool. But I think for me, the person that inspires me the most are the women within my family. Um, my mum and my nan have faced a lot of adversity I think like a lot of women do um, but every morning they kind of wake up and I see them as people who always try and pick the right path or the path that they know will benefit others um, and I think that's really inspiring and I, I just find kind of the idea of being selfless almost in a selfish way you're being selfless to help other people and to keep yourself grounded um, and I find their contributions to I guess that community really really inspiring Poppy I feel like in 10 years I'll still be interviewing for Blue Earth or I'll be listening to another podcast and someone will ask you know who's your inspiration to get up in the morning and someone will say yep my inspiration is Poppy style Evans (laughs) (laughs) thank you gonna make me blush (laughs) um so Poppy you've been studying through the pandemic and obviously you live in Wales which is absolutely beautiful so were you spending much time outside in the landscape in between all the lockdowns yeah so I live in Newport which isn't we're kind of in a bit of a weird place in Newport. If you drive for like 20 minutes, you'll see some of the most beautiful kind of mountains and even some beaches. But where I live is quite industrial. But I think going for walks kind of made me appreciate the little bits of greenery that are even within this city that I hadn't normally appreciated. Before lockdown, I kind of saw Newport as this really grey, boring place. And then as a result of lockdown, I kind of re-fell in love with where I'd grown up and kind of was like oh yeah look there's a field I didn't know that field was there um and got to appreciate it and explore a little bit which is really nice. Did you find that nature helped you reconnect at all? Definitely so I've been horse riding since I was seven um which I'm really lucky to say and so because of that I've always felt like I've really appreciated nature and animals and being able to build a connection with something that you can't necessarily through through words like you do with people you know when you horse ride that relationship is kind of built on trust and it's built on kindness and having this mutual understanding of each other Um, and so because of that I think you know connecting to nature and that side of who I am has always been quite grounding for me um, and it's always been like a constant in my life. Oh wow so looking into the future beyond uni What do you perceive of the word career or is there no such thing? Oh my gosh, career is a scary word for me um, because honestly, I have no idea. I think for me, like the idea of a career is doing something that if you can 
makes you happy and doing something that you know is helping progress I guess who you want to be and society to be honest I would love to work with um, NGOs and especially international NGOs and I would love maybe when I'm much older to do some work kind of in diplomacy and maybe like like party politics but I think kind of straight out of uni I would love to get involved with NGOs um, particularly ones that are working on things like girls rights and sustainability. Mm -hmm. I think graduating from Cambridge if you do decide of course you are free to go to any university that you choose will certainly set set you up for a really good career. I hope so, (laughs) thank you. Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.